Well, I don't know about you, but I love a good rags to riches story, a good humble beginning story, whether it's the story of Henry Ford who came from a a small farm and was a poor kid who began working on mechanics um, at a young age and founded the Ford Motor Company, which is now a $188 billion company. Whether it's a Steve Jobs story who began tinkering in his uh, garage with his foster dad, he was an uh, adopted kid, um, not from a home, um, that needed a family, and his foster dad encouraged him and tinkered with electronics, and he became uh, what we now know as Apple, or whether it's an athlete who comes from nothing, and his only way out in his or her mind is to excel on a, on a sports field and to see those stories, or whether it's the Astros who a few years ago lost over 100 games and now they're winning over 100 games. But there's no greater rags to riches story than the story of the Christian. There's no greater rags to riches story than the story of the Christian if you understand the Bible rightly. Your story is a rags to riches story. And maybe you say, well, you don't really know me, Pastor. Um, I'm a Christian, but I've done really awful things. And I struggle with all kinds of sins. So um, I'm a Christian, but I don't have a rags to riches story. Or maybe you're here and you grew up in a Christian home and all you knew and breathed growing up was, was kind of Christianese. And you believed the gospel at like age two and you lived a really good life. No, you as well have a rags to riches story. This is what the New Testament will teach us. Either way, the Bible says that our story is a story from rags to riches. Here's what I know. We sang about it. New birth means a new life. A new birth, a second birth, means new life. Not a renovated life, not a repaired life, but a new life. Yes, we may walk with a limp, but we are new people. If you've been made new by Jesus, you are a new person. The old is gone and the new has come. So far, we've been looking at the book of Titus and we've seen this idea that truth leads to godliness and truth and godliness. And we've seen the congregational life of this church. It needed some changes. It needed to kind of push out some of the false teachers and it needed to establish leadership. In the church, you needed to see elders um, appointed in the church. And so Paul told Titus, listen, you need to set crooked things straight in this church. And then you see kind of home life or household life. You see how older should invest in younger and younger should learn from older. And slaves in a household in that day should follow their masters. Today, you're going to see the public life of the Christian in Crete. That's what you're going to see. What does Paul call Titus to tell the Cretan believers who are living in a really rough environment, what is he, what's the public life of the Christian in this day? And Paul's going to show the Cretan believers their rags, their inherited riches, and call them to invest. Turn with me to Titus chapter 3. We'll be in verses 1 through 8, and I'll read that. Titus chapter 3, verses 1 through 8. God's Word says this. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. Verse 4, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, 
by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Christ Jesus our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. The saying is trustworthy, and I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable for people. The first thing I want to tell you this morning is this. We have to remember who we were. We have to remember who we are, were. Where, where'd you come from? These are the rags. Verse 3, look back at verse 3. And Paul is going to tell Titus, to tell the Cretans, this is where you were from. These are believing people that he's reminding these things of. Look at what sin does in verse 3. Before a person knows Christ, this is the power in which sin has over you. Verse 3, for we ourselves were once, pre-Christ, we were once foolish. Foolish is the idea of being deceived. We were deceived. I know, it's rough. We were once disobedient. We were once led astray. We were once slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and in envy. We were deceived, we disobeyed. Sin dictated terms to us and detested us and gave us only desires for our own passions that we walked in. See also Ephesians 2. It destroyed us. This is the picture of what sin does apart from Christ. And that's what you lived in and that's what I lived in before Christ. I've got a picture of my little dog, my ferocious little dog. Meet Lady. This is Lady, she's ferocious, right? So uh, about eight years ago, Claire was two and William was four and we got a dog. I really don't know what we were thinking. Um, but we actually got the dog right up here off 2978. That is a purebred miniature dachshund. And we got her right, right over here and she was like the six week old little dog who had the long, long ears that she would trip over her ears. She couldn't go through the grass without falling down, cute dog. But here's the thing about dachshunds. You know this if you have one or have had one, past tense. They are stubborn, stubborn dogs. If, lady, if you come to our house, hopefully we'll move up here and you can come to my house here. If you come to my house, she will bark at you. You would think from outside the door that she's a ferocious, mean dog. And then you'll walk in and she will jump on you. She dachshunds pee on people, so she might do that. If you sat on the couch, she will try to get on your neck, especially men, um, and, and neck you effectively. And so she is a loving dog, but she is so stubborn. Eight years of barking. I don't know if you're, you, you know what dachshunds were bred for, but they were bred to burrow and bark and kill rodents. And so right after we got her, we realized that really quick. We would try, my wife and I would try to sit on the couch together and she would burrow between us. She would get down as far as she could in the, in the covers of my kid's bed. And I'm like, can she breathe? I don't know. And about nine months, the new squirrels came to the backyard. And when we lived in Spring Branch, we had a lot of trees and a lot of squirrels, a lot of newbie squirrels, and a lot of them died because of that dog. But that dog barks incessantly. In our old home, we spent a lot of money to get new windows and it went away. But we moved out to Cyprus and I didn't check the windows before we bought the house and now she hears all the other dogs from all around and she barks. Y'all, she barks. She can be sleeping, all right? Purebred dachshund. 
She can be sleeping. I've watched her do it. She can be sleeping on the couch, and she can hear the dog. I can hear the dog outside the house, the neighbor's dog, and she will give out a yelp. She will bark when she's sleeping. She is bred to do this. She's bred to do this. Now listen, this is you and me without Christ. We have one way in which we go. One way. We've inherited it from Adam, and we do it every day. We have a propensity and a nature driven towards sin. That's verse 3. Paul is reminding the Cretan believers who they once were. This is what the Bible says over and over and over. If you go to the book of Ezekiel and listen to Ezekiel or you listen to Jeremiah, before the Spirit came, what you have is people who have hearts of stone. Think about that. A heart of stone. And the promise of the new covenant and the Spirit work in the New Testament is, I'm going to take the heart of stone and make it a heart, a beating heart of flesh. Listen, before you came to know Christ, you had one direction in which you could go. There weren't choices other than verse 3 that, that you could make. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, as we read, we were dead at our trespasses and sins, and we walked in them. We barked in them. All right? We walked in our passions. That's what we were made to do. Why is Paul reminding them of who they were? Because he's about to get to the gospel that I read in verse 4 through 7, the beauty of the gospel and the glories of Christ. And he's also coming off encouraging them toward good works. But here's what he's doing. This, this text is about public life. And so anytime you see in Scripture the idea of good works, you see it twice here. You see it in uh, one of the first verses here. You see it in verse 1 and you see it in verse 8. You see, be ready for good works, Christian. Be devoted to good works. It's always with witness in mind. Right? It's always with our witness in mind, outwardly, the outward-driven life. And so when he does this, I think Paul is reminding them who they were because here's what happens when you become a Christian. At least it did in my life. After a few years of being a Christian, I got amnesia. Not literal amnesia, but I got what I would call Christian amnesia. This deficit in memory due to some damage, right? That's what amnesia does. And so I think what happens to Christians is we forget who we were. We forget what God saved us out of. And so when it comes to the people around us that live around us that don't yet know Christ, who have a heart of stone, what we often do is we ask them to come up to the moral standard in which we live, into which Christ calls us to live, but they don't have the resources to do that. And so what happens if we're not careful is that we're calling people to a moral standard that they can't meet, kind of like the, you think about the coach that pushes his eight-year-old so far that there's no way that they can meet that standard, or the dad who pushes their kid too far. I was on the golf course the other day. I never do this to my kid, of course, but the dad who's just berating the kid to do something that kid can't do. We often do this with people that don't know Jesus around us. We call them to a moral standard, and we have that, these expectations of them that there's no way they can pull it off. And the reality is, is that they don't have the resources to do that. And when we do that, we actually pervert the gospel. Because we tend to want to call the society and people up to a moral standard. They don't have the resources to do that. Now, here's the thing. I want... I want to live in a moral society. That's a good thing to want. I don't want my kid to walk into Starbucks 
when he's eight years old and say, hey, dad, by the men's restroom, why is the picture of a person that looks like a man in one part and has a dress on? What's up with that? Really loud. By the way, he did it really loud. Um, I don't want my kid to grow up in that, but that's the society that we live in. Here's the thing. We get, we get this Christian amnesia, and we need to remember where we came from. So when you look across the wave from your neighbor or your coworker or your family member or the person that you want so desperately to come to Jesus, rather than asking them not to say that word or that word, what they need to hear is the gospel because that's the resource. That's the way in which God is going to make them new. And so when they hear you speak and me speak, what they're hearing is and seeing is, you know, that person looks like a lot like Jesus. He's kind. He's thoughtful. He's a servant. He's forgiving. That's what the world needs to hear from us a lot. Well, I don't know where I was. I got, I got, I got off on a, on, a, on a soapbox here. But that's what Jesus did, didn't he? He called people, he called people to re- repent and believe all over the place in the Gospels. But how did he do it? Remember the woman at the well? She said, yeah, the, my husband, or the guy that I'm with, and, and Jesus says, yeah, the guy that you've had like five guys that you've been with. But believe, I give you the living water. He offered people himself, the bread of life. He offered people forgiveness. He called them to repentance, and he offered them forgiveness. Listen, we, we can't forget when we minister to people. We can't forget who we were. And this is what Paul is saying to the Cretans as well. He's saying, don't forget who you were so that you can have compassion on the glutton. This is chapter one. Uh, The evil person. The person who doesn't believe. So this is the idea of witness. We remember who we were so we're able better to be a witness to the world that is lost. But we can't call them to the standards that we live by. Remember who we were. How are you doing with that? That's tough. That's tough when you're on a plane and the person in front of you is completely drunk and you've you've got your kids and you're holding their ears, okay? It's really difficult to do. But God calls us to, to love the lost just like somebody loved you and shared Jesus with you and modeled Jesus to you. That's our calling. So we see the rags, right? Here are the rags in verse three. How do we get the riches? Verse four through seven. Where does it come from? Verse 4 through 7 remind us of something. Remember who made you new. That's your blank. Remember who made you new. Look at verse 4. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. He regenerated us. He renewed us. He poured out on us, how? Richly through Christ. He justified us. We're heirs of hope because of Him. The answer is, How do we get riches? It wasn't because of us. You know, when you think about the rags to riches story, the ones you really love are the the ones like the athlete who went from rags to riches and then he gives back. That he gives back to the people because he remembers where he's from. We need to remember where we're from and how this came about. It wasn't because of us. It wasn't because of our hard work. And that's the dark side of the rags to riches story, right? The rags, the rags to riches story gone wrong is now none of that matters. That we don't remember where we came from. And now we're just a bunch of jerks because we have and we don't want to go back to that. 
See, we need to remember who made us new. It wasn't us. Look at, at the passage. He saved us not because of works, there's the word, done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. He saved us. We didn't save ourselves. We didn't pull up our bootstraps and get out of the condition we were in and take off the rags and put on the riches. We didn't do that. He gave that to us. Here's the theology. He saved us. This is the idea of deliverance. He regenerated us. This is where God turns on the lights. The Nicodemus story of being born again, regeneration is the idea that the Holy Spirit turns on the light that breathes life into us so we're born again. And Nicodemus said, how do I go back into my mother's womb? He's like, you're not getting it. There's a second birth. You're born again. You're made a new person. The old has gone and the new has come. This is a work of the Spirit. It's not a work that we come up with. He turns the light on. He also presently renews us. This is the Spirit's work. He renews us. It's not our work. It's the Spirit's work. And He comforts us and He gives us confidence and a sure hope. My confidence in the future and the future hope that I have in heaven is not based on me. It's based on His faithfulness to what He has said and who He is. So remember who you were. Remember who made you new. And you know what this means? This means that God cares for you. This means that God has changed you. That means he comes for you. That means he comforts you. That's riches. I don't know how you define riches, but that's spiritual riches that you find nowhere else other than the person and work of Jesus. We have inherited these riches. And why did he, why did he do it? What's the motivation? Look at verse 4. But when the goodness, you see it? Why did he do it? The motivation, the goodness, and the loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared. God's motivation was his love and his goodness and his kindness toward us. Remember the story of the prodigal son? You can't if you've been in church, you know the story. But why do you think the prodigal son, when he saw his dad, he was guilty and he came with his head held low, but when he saw his dad, he ran. Think about that. Why do you think he ran? He ran because he knew the love and kindness and goodness of his father. That's why he ran. I want you to think about that as it relates to your life and how God has called you to himself. He's a good, good father. And you can run to him. You know what that produces? You know what this, these gospel truths produce in our life? If we're believing them and we're choosing to live in them, it produces a humility, right? I didn't earn it. I, w- I was in rags. He gave me his riches. I can't earn that. It also produces a, a confidence that all the things, all the riches I have, think about the riches that you have in your 403B or 401K, sorry, or wherever you have it. Do you ever get nervous about those? What's going to happen with the stock market? You don't have to be nervous about the eternal riches that he has given you in Christ. They are secure. There's a future hope that is sure. Not so for the self-made person, right? The self-made person says, I'm the captain of my own ship. I got myself here. I'm going to teach others to get themselves there. See, our goodness doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from the inherited righteousness of Jesus, who is good. And the gospel message 
If you're here this morning, I would tell you, when I was in college, I remember, I feel like being convicted by God about my sin, but my first response to that was, I'm going to be good. I know the gospel. I didn't believe. I knew enough about the Bible, but you know what I did for about six months? I woke up every morning, and I said, God, help me be good. And then at the end of the day, I had my little evaluation of how good I was being, and I failed every day. And by the end of it, it was miserable. I can't do good. And then I read for about the hundredth time, and God turned the lights on, 1 Corinthians 15. This beautiful truth of the gospel that he was delivered once for all for my sin, once for all for my sin. And God turned the lights on for me. And I realized that it wasn't me trying to do good, that would always fail, but is what Christ had done for me. That's the gospel. So I'd encourage you this morning. If you don't know Christ, the Bible says that your good deeds are like filthy rags. That's what the Bible says. You need Christ. So how, do we, how should we respond to his kindness and his love and his riches? Can we invest these riches anywhere Today, look at verses 1 and 2. What is our life? What ought our life to look like? Here's your third point. Get to new life living. Or in Texas, get to new life living. That's the call, right? He's taken us from rags to riches. So let's get to new life living. What does that look like? Verse 1 and 2. Remind them. So he's telling Titus to teach them again because they need to hear it again. I've already told you. To be submissive submissive to rulers and authorities. Romans 13. The call of the Christian. We live under God's law, but if we can't hold the law of the land, which is actually God's, then what kind of witness is that? To be submissive to rulers and authority. To be obedient. To be ready for every good work. And then he goes on and he talks about this. And so really in a couple of areas, be ready Be ready and devoted to good works. That's our witness. We're. We need to be submissive to authority. Do you know who was in authority in this day? A guy named Nero. If you put Trump, Obama, and every president we've ever had in our country together, they probably don't compare at all to how awful Nero was. And Paul is calling these folks on this island to submit to Nero. And he does it all the way through the New Testament. It's kind of awkward to submit to authority. And there are some exceptions, right, when the gospel is in play and we want to share the gospel. But the overriding command in the New Testament for the Christian is, who is under God's law, is to obey man, is to follow. And look at what he connects it with. This is interesting. This is tough. This, this is how we speak Related to authority, man, if you turn on the TV or your app every day, what do you see? You see people with their words in politics destroying one another. That's that's the air that we breathe. And this text is saying, if you want to have a good witness, you need to be able to submit to authority. You may not like the person. You may not like their policies. But these people are under God's rule, and we are Christians, and this affects our witness. 
It affects our witness in the way in which we speak in the public sphere on social media. That matters. We can have a panel discussion on that. That would be phenomenal. We can talk about this. But our witness matters because the gospel is more important. The gospel is more important than any of these things. I'm not saying you can't speak. It's just how do you do it? So he's saying how we speak matters related to authority. How we speak the gospel where it's not a behavioral modification kind of thing. You know what the gospel is? I'm a mess. I need Jesus. Not come up to the moral standard, right? And so what we do, though, in verse 8, is good works. I've got a friend who is a pastor in Dallas, and he just got commissioned to be the pastor of Northway Church in Dallas, off the Dallas Tollway, about a month ago. And they officially launched their church out of Uh, effectively like a satellite campus of the village church. And Shay is a good friend of mine. We went to college together. We've done ministry together. That was three weeks ago. On Sunday night, they had a service at Northway Church, and two hours later, an F3 hurricane. We have hurricanes. I have hurricanes up in Dallas. An F3 tornado came through that area and ripped their sanctuary to shreds and their campus to shreds. It's totally decimated. He posted pictures. I sent him a message. said, what can we do? He pointed me toward a fund. He also pointed me, um, but then he did something different, which I don't think I was expecting that taught me. He said, here's what we're going to do, Seth. Uh, Our whole neighborhood, our whole neighborhood is decimated. Insurance is probably going to take care of this stuff. We've got some people from our church that are going to help clean up our, this is a massive campus, a big campus but we're going to go out in the neighborhood and we're going to care for the needs of the people in the neighborhood. On Monday, he made the news, Northway Church made the news because their sanctuary and their campus got destroyed by a tornado. On Wednesday, they made the news because they hosted a dinner for their neighbors and they'd been in the community of about 2,000 people and they hosted and they took care of a dinner to care for their neighbors. That's why they made the news on Wednesday night. That's a picture of get to new life living as a church. That in their own suffering, they didn't look at themselves and navel gaze. They said, what about the people who are affected next door? That's a beautiful picture of what good works looks like in the life of a church. To figure out in a community how we can be a blessing. And listen, you call me here to be a pastor and I'm going to shepherd you as best I can through the power of the Spirit. I'm going to train you. I'm going to teach you. I want to care for you. I want, I want community to be built here that we bear one another's burdens. But I hope you didn't come here to navel gaze because I didn't. I didn't either. I want us to be about good works. I want us to be on the mission of God here in Magnolia, Conroe, Woodlands. I've got to figure out how to say this area. Somebody help me out. I've got to short, shorten that down. Man, I want us to be on that kind of mission. Because you know what that does? The people in that community could look at that church and go, man, these are a people who are suffering and they're caring for us. How easy is it to get to the gospel from there? This is what Jesus has done for me. And he's given himself for me. This is a beautiful picture of the gospel. So what does it look like to live the outward life? Let me give you just some personal application. It's Halloween week. I don't know what you do with Halloween. Everybody's got their thing about Halloween. I don't know what that looks like in your family. If you do, you don't. But here's what I do know. I do know 
that the, the people, all the people that live in the eight-foot picket fence that roll into every day on your neighborhood, who come in the driveway, they shut the door, the garage door comes down, and they go about their life. You know what happens magically this week? People want to talk to one another. Maybe it's just because of candy. I don't know. It doesn't matter. People want to talk to you. People want to come by. So here's what I want you to do. Consider doing. Sorry. Because I want you to consider doing. You know, on a day where, 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 where people actually talk to one another. I want you to go home and I want you to have your kids make up handmade invitations. Invite them over on Halloween night. Invite neighbors over. The greatest invention for outreach is a lawn chair. And a grill, maybe. All right? Pop that thing out on your front yard, not your backyard. Don't, don't say, hey, we're having a cookout in our backyard. We're going to have a cookout in our front yard. Come over, bring your lawn chair. Maybe you don't know your neighbors at all. This is an opportunity to do that. Bring your candy, we'll bring ours. And you get to know your neighbors. And guess what? You can take the cultural calendar and you can go through it. Maybe you, don't, maybe you do get a chance to talk about Jesus a little bit and tell them about yourself this time. But maybe Thanksgiving's coming. Right? Thanksgiving's coming. Try, it. Try something else. Christmas is coming. We had a guy on our street that would, I didn't know from anybody after a couple years, he was further down on the street. I didn't know he was a believer. I, he wanted to do Christmas carols. Who doesn't like Christmas carols? I can't sing that high. I don't know. Maybe somebody in, in, on your street can sing that high. And we just went around to neighbors and sang together and got to know one another. Bowl games are coming. Super Bowl's coming. Figure out the cultural calendar and figure out how you, as a family, can be outward looking on your block, right? Think about as a church, as a community group, maybe as a community group this week, what does that look like? To have a few people over from your community group, passing out candy, meeting neighbors, meeting people. What does it look like for us as a church? This is what we're going to be talking about a lot in the next few months, about what, what does the future of C3 look like? We certainly want to be a people of the word. We want to invest. We want to learn. We want to grow. We want to be people of truth. We want to pursue godliness together. We want to pursue community together. But we want to get living. I want to get living. I want to reach, reach people for the gospel in this community. I want to support ministries and other places that are reaching the gospel. I want to be an outwardly focused church, as Chris was saying last week. So this is our story, a rags to riches story. The question is, where are we investing the riches? Because it's the beauty of it is that, is that God wants us to invest the riches here now. We are ambassadors, remember? He wants us to invest those riches now. Here are the stories you don't hear about. The rags to riches stories you don't hear about are the ones who won't be a blessing from where they came from. From the humble beginnings, they abandoned where they came from. You have the riches of Christ. I have the riches of Christ. We want to be a blessing. We want to be on mission together for the gospel. We are made new to live new. What will you do with the undeserved inherited riches that you have and I had? What will we do as a church with the riches that we have to be a blessing to those outside of us, to invest them in good works? This, this, this passage really, in my mind, who we were, who Christ made us, and how that's changed our lives, really screams for a testimony. 
And so I've asked Tom Morrison to come and share. Come share what God has done in his life. Um, the grace of God has done in his life. So con- Tom, come on up. There's a mic right down here. And you guys give a listen to Tom as he shares his testimony and to hear the good work of grace that God has done in this man's life. We're green. Hello, hello. I wish I'd gotten up here at least once before now in the last three years so I I at least knew what this sight picture was going to look like. Uh, certainly looks a lot different from up here. Hey, a little bit of back, uh, my background. Uh, I, I was blessed to grow up in this area. My dad pastored a church in the area uh, off of I-45 near Cypresswood. I was blessed to grow up in a Christian home. There were some things that went on in that home, sure, like in all homes that were probably somewhat dysfunctional, but I was blessed to hear about God as I was growing up, and I would say somewhere around age nine made an authentic decision to, 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 to trust in God. And as I reflect back on that period and what was about to transpire, what transpired over the next few decades, I, I think of that verse where it says, our adversary, the devil, roams about like a lion looking for somebody to devour. And all I can say is he, he, he almost got me. At age 13, I, I set a fire that ultimately ended up claiming the life of a younger sibling and horribly injuring my dad. And that would become a deep, dark secret of mine for the next 10 years that I had set that chain of events in, in motion. Nobody knew that but me. And I was a real tender kid growing up. And uh, as I had a front row seat to that devastation and the havoc it was wreaking throughout my family, I, be- I became very hard. All I could say as I began to harden my heart, it was the only way I knew how to, how to deal with that. Um, it wasn't, wasn't many years after that where, hey, as, as, a, as a coping mechanism, the drugs entered the scene, all kinds of deviant, immoral behavior uh, entered the scene. Anything to suppress that pain and, and pack down who I was, that all ultimately culminated in a life where being very hard, being very callous, uh, you couple that with a extreme drug addiction, and I had the ability to move people through people's life and wreak a lot of damage. If we had crossed paths during that period, there's a good chance you were gonna leave either physically, mentally, spiritually, or financially harmed. That ultimately led to two trips through the Texas prison system. And one of the snapshots that jumps out as I try to encapsulate that period would be I'm in the county jail. I'm on my way back to prison for the second time. I haven't been out a year, and I'm already on my way back. I can't stand who I am, the secrets I'm carrying. I can't function in society. 
and I can't stand the thought of continuing to wake up in a cell. And I can remember crawling up under one of those defining moments, crawling up underneath a bottom bunk in a jail cell up against that concrete wall. I was sleeping on the floor. It was overcrowded. And I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where you cry to the point where you just wish your rib cage would just shatter and, and, and come out. Just that gut-wrenching, I can't go on. And I think it's a combination of a cry to God and also a cry, God, don't let my heart take another beat. I'm done. And all I can say is we serve a mighty God. A God in his grace and in his mercy and in his love and in his kindness begin to reach down and begin to break me down and soften my heart. And I wish you could say it was this miraculous one-day process. It, uh, it was and is and continues to be an ongoing process. Uh, there was a period, as I, I think about a snapshot of what that softening looked like, I can remember I was working in the prison boiler room, I was reading a book uh, that was well written, and I, I began to have empathy for the characters in this book who were dealing with some pain, and the tears started to flow, and I was, I was shocked. Um, I had to have empathy and to care about somebody other than me, it had been a long time. And I, I, I think of that, I think of that snapshot of what it looks like as God begins to change who we are. Fast forward to what does what life look like today? I've only got a couple of minutes, I could take an hour, but hey, I'm, I'm married to an amazing, God-fearing woman who knows me and still loves me. I have amazing kids, six kids. Some of you may not know that. Uh, God's looked down and said, hey, I need you to raise these kids. I have a daughter that was born while I was in prison. We have an amazing relationship. I have a dad. He'd be here today if he could put the fishing pole down. Uh, I, I have a dad who, if he came through that door right now, you would... You may notice the scars he carries. You would never know by the way we interact that I was responsible. Hey, and that only, that only happens through God. What do I stand here to testify to today? I stand to testify that we serve a God who has the ability to fundamentally transform who somebody is at the core of their very being. I'll tell you what, I get it wrong every day, but here's what I know. Here's what my wife knows, because she was part of that journey. I'm not that guy I used to be. It's just not who I am. There has been, hey, we all want our circumstances to change. The cool thing is we serve a God who can change who we are. And when that happens, everything else is going to change. I need to put this mic down, but I'm not going to miss this opportunity. There's two people, two, two people that may be in this room that I'll, I want to speak to.
Number one, it's that mom, it's that dad, it's that brother, it's that sister, it's that son, it's that daughter of that person who's out there still being chased by that enemy. I just want to encourage you. God's timing is not our timing, but he's in control of that situation. One of the things I'm so thankful for is that my mom lived long enough to see the miracle. And the other person I want to speak to is that, that person here who may, may have that thing. I don't know what that thing is that you want to come to God, but that, that garbage, that trash, that, that, that shame, that guilt, whatever that thing is that's holding you back, the enemy's lying to you. I would encourage you that what took place on the cross covers whatever that thing is. And if you're believing that that thing has disqualified you from approaching that cross, that's the enemy trying to devour you. Stay here with me. He makes all things new. We're trophies of his grace. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for, uh, thank you for your mercy. Your mercy in our life and undeserving people that you make right with yourself through your son Jesus. We thank you that Jesus' death and resurrection is sufficient for all of our junk, all of it. So Lord, I pray for maybe one who doesn't know you yet. Maybe see somebody that has been through a lot or been forgiven. I pray that you would do a work in their hearts. We thank you for a day where we can look at your word and be reminded who we were so we can better appreciate who we are. And we can look at good works in a different way, that we could look at it in a way um, in which... Lord, in which we uh, can live out this new life that you give us to live. It doesn't feel that way sometimes, but this is who we are. And so, Lord, I pray that you would help us to, to get to live in this new life of grace and mercy and joy, trusting in Jesus each and every day. In Christ's name, amen.